0: It's a little bit of a hangover from that. Um, It's a little bit of a hangover from that. Um, Brad's wife. Brad's wife. And uh, it's just great to have Mitch and Sarah here today. Um, Did they run off already? They did the little thing and then they're gone. You know they suffered greatly uh, serving there, and if you have a chance to encourage them, I hope you will. And and I hope you heard about what their life was like in terms of ministry. It's just like here. You know what they did there, you can do here. Do you know we have English language clubs here at North Wake for people who don't speak English? Uh, It's our ESL ministry. You could be part of that. You could sit down with somebody teach them English using Bible stories and share the good news about Christ with them. You can do what they did there. You could do that here. And, uh, and believe it or not, uh, it's, it's still legal for you to pray with folks. Um, you can pray with the people that serve you meals and cut your hair. You can just say, is there, is there, I, I like to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And it's amazing what God will do sometimes if you'll just crack the door in faith uh, this this week, maybe he'll give you that opportunity to pray for someone and even speak of Christ to them. So I, I hope you'll be bold, uh, like the Eggers modeled for us this so beautifully um, during their time there. Continuing our series, as as you can see, on uh, being mentored in prayer by different prayers in the Bible, and uh, this morning we'll we'll look at one from King David, as, da, as Daniel indicated. But I ran across something fascinating. A handful of years ago, uh, there was an unemployed amateur treasure hunter in England. He ran across with his little beeper metal detector thing, he was out in his friend's field hunting for, hunting for treasure, and he ran across something that's been called the Staffordshire Horde. Um, it is a, probably estimated as the most significant discovery of buried Anglo-Saxon treasure in English history, okay. uh, his name is Terry Herbert, and he found uh, a buried cache of 1,345 gold and silver objects that date back to the 7th century AD. One expert said it was, it was like finding King Tut's tomb, it was that significant a find. Um, Terry says it was more fun than winning the lottery. Uh, he, uh, after the initial discovery, he spent the next five days combing through the rest of the farmland. He says, he says imagine you're at home and somebody keeps putting money through your letterbox. He says, uh, that was what it was like. I was going to bed and in my sleep, I was seeing gold. The estimated value of, of Terry's find, which he shared with the landowner, was in excess of $5 million. Now, now, I think without question, we would say for Terry, the unemployed treasure hunter, amateur treasure hunter, that was a good day, right? That was, that's a pretty good day. You could say, with apologies to Alexander, it was a delightful, wonderful, not bad, very good day. Um, and I, th- I think you know the kind of day I'm talking about. And s- some of you are tempted to think, I don't have days like that. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, right? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Uh, but let me, let me encourage you. you. You don't have to find $5 million worth of gold buried in your backyard to have a, have a good day. You've had, you've had lots of them, a number of you. Think think the, the day you got engaged, the day you got the promotion, the day your children were born, the day you scored the winning touchdown, the day you got the part in the play, the day the doctor called and said, it's benign, the day you found the BB gun under the Christmas tree like Ralphie. You, you know what I mean? Just a good old day. Um, and if you're, stru- if you're still struggling to connect... Uh, Think of it this way imagine that you wake up in the morning and you walk into the kitchen and you find there attached to your kitchen another room a little room and you open the door to the little room and it is chock full of food there's a room full of food attached to your kitchen And you call your spouse, you say, spouse, if you don't have a spouse, maybe you call your grandma or your roommate or whatever you have, and you say, look, a room full of food attached to my kitchen. You turn around, and there's a large white box. And you go over to the white box, and you open it, and there's a light in the box, and cold air comes out, and it's full of food, too. This is unbelievable two rooms full of food attached to your kitchen and so you walk over to the sink and you you see this little handle and you turn it and water flows out of a pipe like magic into your sink and there's another handle and you turn it and it's hot water flowing out of a pipe into your sink It's like magic. So you call the children and the children come and you find another thing sticking out of your sink and you pull it out as a hose and you spray it at your children and you all do a dance in the kitchen. This is an unbelievable day. Someone has attached two rooms of food and magic water to your kitchen. Um, I I think you get my point. If you have eyes to see it, there's a lot of good going down in your days, right? Um, this morning we want to say, we want to answer this question. How do you pray on a day like that? Okay. A, a good day. Uh, maybe a day like today. How do you pray? How do you pray on a good day? We often talk about, we sang about this morning, how do you pray in the desert, right? Right? How do you pray in times of crisis? How do you cry out to God in the really hard times? And, and we are right to do that. But surely, surely prayer is just as needful on those good days, right? Those, those wonderful, delightful, not bad, very good days. Wow. And so to help us by way of example, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to First Chronicles 29, way back in the sticky pages of the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 29, and we will look together at a prayer of King David on what for him was the very best of days. And so as you find your way there, I'd like to just pray for us as we open the word. So, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to always pray uh, with glad hearts, freely to you our good and mighty king. Help us now by your spirit and your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. First Chronicles 29. David is having a good day, a really good day. He is having a delightful, wonderful, not that very good day. And uh, we'll look at the setting for this in a bit. But first, I just want you to listen to how David prays on one of those days. And there there are three significant things, there's a, there's a lot here, but there are three significant things that I want to encourage you to walk away from this with, and uh, the first of those comes right out of the blocks as he begins to pray in verse 10 of chapter 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power And the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, on this really good day, and, and trust me, we'll see why in a minute it's a really good day for David, but on this really good day, King David exalts God big time. Okay? One writer said he is, he is mining the theological dictionary to try to describe how great God is. Okay, listen again to that verse, verse 11 that Daniel read earlier. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So David exalts God as over all and owning it all. And what it adds to the wonder of this is that he then gives it to us. Look at at the next verse, verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. David is acknowledging here that good days come from God's hand. right? He's as clear as crystal. That it is out of the greatness and the goodness of God that our good days come. And uh, James says something very similar in the New Testament. You may be more familiar with this. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every, Every good day is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, David, King David, and James are crediting God with our good days. They are from His hand, not ours. He deserves the credit and the glory, not us. On good days, we have a chance to see God's goodness more clearly. On good days, when we pray, and we should pray on our good days, we should give God credit. And this matters because we like to take credit for our good days we are bent that way increasingly they do this survey back in 2012 and they found an alarming decline in americans confidence in many traditional sources for values including government family celebrities leaders even faith in god all of these were on the decline in terms of confidence but according to the poll we still had confidence in one thing ourselves we believe it says in our own ability to get what we want through sheer hard work and moral effort 70 percent of americans believe that with hard work i can accomplish anything a case in point uh controversial american author gore vidal he says uh he has a clear and simple solution for dealing with uh any conflict you should face he says there is not one human problem that could not be solved if people would simply do as I advise. Okay. And he is an American author, right? That's, that's the press for us. I got this, we think. I did this, we say. I deserve this, we expect. And this, this was a really worried Moses way back in, in the book of Deuteronomy. When things are starting to go good, Moses is worried that people are going to forget God and take God's glory as their own. So, Deuteronomy 8, Moses says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied on your good days, Moses is saying, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So on good days, do a little dance, okay? Lift your hands, give a shout, have a party, open the door to the fridge, marvel, spray water everywhere. But just make sure you intentionally exalt God as the source of it all. He filled the pantry. He made the water flow. He is Lord of your kitchen. And every blessing that comes into your life, they come from his good hand. On good days, like King David, we worship God and we say both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and give strength. To all now, the next thing David prays, it's really closely related. Kenneth says the same thing. He says, And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. On, on good days, we give thanks. It's dangerous not to, and it's really just plain wrong in a sense, it's glory robbing. It's failing to give God his due. And God is clear. He's not going to share his due. It simply says in Isaiah, My glory I will not give to another. And we love to be that another. Um, they did a <clears throat> a guy named Nathaniel Rogers. Evidently he's a film critic. And he did a study in a 12-year period from 2002 To 2014, there were 47 actors who gave acceptance speeches at the Oscar award ceremonies. And uh, these Oscar winning stars almost always give thanks to someone for their achievement. Um, He cites some examples. Kate Winslet thanked her director, Peter Jackson. Colin Firth thanked his producer, Harvey Weinstein. Christopher Walsh praised his director, Quentin Tarantino, as the creator. Other award winners have thanked other celebrities. Oprah was thanked twice. Sidney Poitier was thanked twice. Meryl Streep was thanked four times. And he notes that that's one time more than God. In that span of time, God was thanked three times. Meryl Streep, four. God, three. He says, it's not that God is never mentioned. There's a reason for this notable lack of the divine. And it isn't the absence of religious faith. It's just that two actors... The director is God. That's dangerous, dangerous language. The prophet Hosea warns us. He says, God is speaking here. And God says, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. On the good days that God gave to them, they forgot him. So so this is the first thing I want us to see about how to pray on good days. On your good days, don't forget God. But like King David, thank him and praise his glorious name on our good days. God is to be exalted, and he gets the credit. Now, the, the second thing that I see in David's prayer that really needs to mark our good days is... It's kind of the other side of the coin. It's a necessary compliment to exalting God as great. In verse 14, David continues to pray, and he says, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given, to, given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. And there is no abiding. See on good days we do two things. We, we lift God up and we get low. Okay. We, we humble ourselves before him. And I, I love the way David puts it. He just says, who am I? Who am I to be on the receiving end of a day like this? Um. And it's a it's not the first time David has said this. He's, he says this repeatedly. Uh, he, um, when he gets the hand of, the, of King Saul's daughter in marriage, this is how David responds. David says to the king, King Saul, before David was king, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? Who am I? Once he's king, God makes an amazing set of promises to David. One of his sons is going to rule on the throne of God's people forever. And David responds this way. King David went in sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And have shown me future generations. Oh Lord God. Who am I? Who am I? That I should be granted a day like this. With food in the pantry. And lights in the fridge. And running water. Who am I? On our good days we pray and acknowledge our lack. Our undeservedness. Our inability. That's what David prays about next, our inability. And he says, for we are strangers before you, God, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. Strangers and sojourners is a common description of God's own people during their years of wandering and captivity. One writer put it this way. Um, This language speaks of persons without property and therefore without security of their own who lived in an area only by the good graces of its citizens, like widows and orphans. They were in need of protection. David's saying, we're needy. Our days are fleeting like a shadow. Here today, gone tomorrow, as the saying goes. And it's in contrast to the way David began his prayer back in verse 10 where he says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever God is forever and ever. We're just like a shadow. We're we're here today and gone tomorrow. There's one little important note that I want to draw your attention to in the previous verse. Look closely at, at this verse. It says, who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Um, all things come from you and of your own we have given you. He doesn't say from our own we have given you. The people have made a on this day they made an amazing offering to the Lord and he doesn't say from our own we've given to you Lord, but he says from your own. They understand that even what they give to the Lord is giving back To the Lord. All things come from you and of your own. Not our own, of your own we have given you. What they have came from His good hand. They are simply giving back to God what He has lavished on them. And on good days, we acknowledge our lack, our need. In a word, we get low. We humble ourselves before God. On our best days, we get low. And we admit we don't deserve this. One one of my very favorite little stories about this, um, I've shared it with you before, it comes from John Ortberg. And he says, not long ago, there was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a service station to get gas. He went inside to pay. When he came out, he noticed his wife engaged in a deep discussion with the service station attendant. It turned out that she knew him. In fact, back in high school, before she met her eventual husband, she used to date this man, and the CEO got in the car, and the two drove away in silence, and he's feeling pretty good about himself when he finally spoke, and he says, "Uh, I bet I know what you were thinking. I bet you're thinking you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a service station attendant. And she says, no, I was thinking that if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO, and you'd be a service station attendant. See, we, we have what we have, not because we've strung together good days, but because God is good, even to us. And so on our good days, we pray, we get low before the God from whom all blessings flow, as the doxology puts it. We acknowledge that all good things come from his hand, and we, you know, pinch me. We don't deserve a day like this. Now, I want to back up. Before we look more at his prayer and fill in the gaps a little bit about why this is such a good day in, in King David's mind. See, David had a dream. He had a passion. Um, and it's written about in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And it, it reads like this. And when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar. But but the ark of the covenant of the Lord, where the Lord's presence dwelt, is under a tent. Okay? David's saying, What's wrong with this picture? I'm in a palace. The Lord's presence shows up in the ark in a tent. And so David proposes to build God a house. This is his dream, this is his passion. He wants to build a temple, a house where his, the Lord's presence could dwell amongst his people and where the Ark of the Covenant would be placed. Um, and God did not grant him that request exactly. At least not as David proposed. If we skip down a couple verses, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. And a couple more verses down. We see it says, When your days are fulfilled, David, to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. So David will not build this house for God. One of his sons, King Solomon, it turns out, will. And David will always have a son on the throne as king. This is how David responds to getting his dream kind of manipulated, bent by God a little bit. King David went in, sat before the Lord, and he said those words we just read. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There's none like you, O Lord, and there's no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So David is absolutely pumped about this. He's stoked. His son gets to build the house for God that he dreamed about all of his days. And one of his sons is going to reign over God's people forever and ever. This is one of the clearest Old Testament pointers to Jesus, the son of David, who will reign over the kingdom forever. And and David is totally humbled by God's kindness. Who am I, he says. And he consistently refers to him as just God's servant. What servant deserves a day like this? So this is David's dream. Now, um, fast forward back to chapter 29, the beginning, just before he prays, the passage we're in. This is what's going on. It's a context for his prayer. David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I've provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold. The silver For the things of silver. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir. And seven thousand talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And... For all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for for the things of gold, and silver for the things of silver. He goes on and on. So David is emptying his pockets, right? Personal treasure to give to the Lord. And to to put it in perspective, Okay, that Staffordshire hoard that, that that guy, Terry Herbert, found in the field in England, it contained 11 pounds of gold. In the Staffordshire Harald, this unbelievable find, 11 pounds of gold. David, by some estimates, is here giving 110 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver. Okay, now let me tell you, that, that will kickstart your building program, okay? <laughs> that, that, that'll get her going, um, and it's like dominoes, okay? David says, I'm giving all this. And watch what, watch what happens. He says, who then, he says to the people, who then will offer willingly? Consecrating himself today to the Lord. So he says, who's going to join me? And the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. And they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, more than David gave. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. So the leaders join in, they give more than their king, and the people rejoice and presumably they join in the cause as well, and the joy comes full circle. David rejoices over the joyful, willing, generous worship of his people. This is why it's a delightful, wonderful, not bad, very good day for King David. He didn't win the lottery, he gave it away. And all the people joined in. And that's that's what he's praying about. That's that's what makes this such a great day for David. And then he prays, we're still in his prayer, he prays this next in verse 16. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance, all this tons of gold that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. God, again, David just says, God, you're the source of it all. You're the source of it all. Of all the tons of gold and silver and bronze and iron and precious stones, David says, I confess it comes from you, God. And we're just giving it back. Giving it back to you. Again, God is exalted in David's praying. And he, the generous king, is humbled. Which is not an easy thing to do when you're the big donor, right? You want some special... Acknowledgement, some special perks, a special parking place, a special seat, a special plaque, something. And David gives all the glory to God. And, and we must, too. You know, when, when the accomplishments and the accolades come our way, we pray and exalt God and we get low before him. They were interviewing um, Kevin Bacon, the actor about uh, a role that he played in his movie Footloose. And uh, his six-year-old son had seen this movie. I have no idea if it's appropriate for a six-year-old or not. Don't take that as an endorsement. But Kevin let his six-year-old son watch it. And the six-year-old son says, Hey, Dad, you know that thing in the movie where you swing from the rafters of that building? That's really cool. How did you do that? And Kevin says, Well, I didn't do that. It was a stuntman. He says, What's a stuntman? Kevin says, well, that's someone who dresses like me and does things I can't do. Oh, he replied and walked out of the room looking a little confused. A little later, he said, hey, dad, you know that thing in the movie where you spin around on that gym bar and land on your feet? How did you do that? He said, well, I I didn't do that. That was a gymnastics double. Oh, what's a gymnastics double? He said, well, that's a guy who dresses in my clothes and does things I can't do. There was a silence from his son, and, and he asked in a concerned voice, Dad, Dad, what did you do? <laughs> and Kevin replies sheepishly, I got all the glory. Um, see, that's, we, we don't do that. On our good days, we don't do that. We, we pray like this. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. David's still praying. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. And David recognizes here that it's the heart of the offerer, not the size of the offering that really is determinative before God. He doesn't say, "God, we have met the goal that the consultant set." Okay? We, have, we have gotten to the top of the thermometer, God. Uh, no. He says, "We have offered these things freely and joyously. And I think I think the Apostle Paul had this, must have had this exact thing in mind when he wrote in the New Testament. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Freely, cheerfully, the hearts are what matter. And David is saying on this day, this is a good day because hearts were right on this day. Freely and gladly exalting God. And then one one last thing that we'll, we'll see David praise and we'll stop. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. On good days, God, please keep our hearts low before you. Direct them towards you. He exalts God, he humbles himself, and he begs God to keep their hearts there. Keep our hearts right here, God, bowed low before you, exalting you as worthy and great, even when we're at the top of our game. Because that's not the gravitational pull that is on our hearts naturally. What pulls our hearts is towards me and my stuff, the stuff that I think I deserve to have. So when we have good days and we get it right, and God gets the glory and the credit We need to pray that God keeps us low before him and that he protects our hearts from pride and its offering, its offspring, rather, greed. There is a centripetal force on good days that pulls all glory towards me. Um, They've been doing studies for a number of years um, on selfies, right, Back in, um, way back in 2013, this is two years old, so I'm sure it's very archaic now. Um, in Octo- as of October 2013, people posted 41 million pictures that included the hashtag, hashtag selfie, somewhere in the caption. The selfie hashtag grew, in just nine months of that year, more than 200% in usage. You know, there is no uptick, no surge in people posting UEs, okay? You cannot buy, to best my knowledge, you cannot buy a UE stick, okay? The pull is towards me. I want the credit. On good days especially, that's the pull. So on those days, we pray to exalt God and humble me and pray that our hearts would stay there. And those of you who are parents of exceptional children, which is everyone who's a parent, right? Uh, You got some pretty amazing kids in your house. And uh, they're winning stuff and doing stuff. And grandma's telling them they're amazing. And their coach might tell them they're amazing. And their teacher says that they're wonderful. And when they get their awards... You help them see how to exalt God on that day, right? I had a really, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever come into my office, behind the door, there's a thing called the wall of fame. And it is littered, I have five kids, so it is from, from ceiling to floor with newspaper clippings of my kids. Not those kind of clippings, the good clippings, right, when they win things. Um, no wanted posters, anything like that about my kids. Um, and one of them is, one, one of them is especially uh, uh, joyful in this regard. Um, it's a picture of my oldest daughter, Corey. She's high jumping, and she's going over the bar. And and, uh, and that particular year, she finished third in the state in high jump, which was the best she'd ever done. I think it was probably her senior year. And so they, it's a, we live up near Franklinton, up in the Youngsville area. So it's a little teeny paper, and they publish pictures and write articles about people. Do those kind of things up there, and um, they're interviewing Corey about how well she did this year, and uh, she says, "You know, it's amazing." But she said, "Then she says, I really can't take the credit, though. God has given me the talent to jump." You know, it's not. I mean, I love what my daughter jumping is like. Okay, it's not that great a talent. Where are you gonna? You know, what are you gonna do? Start. Leaping pews I guess in worship you could, Corey could do that But I love that she knows That the talent that God gave her It's from God And he ultimately gets the credit okay? Some of your kids are going to do amazing things By your example and by your words Help them see that on, on your best day God gets the credit God gets the glory And on, on, on this good day as we gather together with the people of God, we have a chance to share in one of the great acts of sacred worship that restores order to the universe of our hearts, right? We, we gather around this table and we remember that it's all of grace. It is wholly undeserved. We remember Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. We remember that he did that for us because we could not bear our sins ourselves. They're unbearable for us. They would crush us for all eternity. We need a sin bearer and a savior and Jesus is that sin bearer, that savior. And so today the Lord's table at North Wake is open to anyone who embraces that truth wholly that Jesus died to rescue us from our sins by bearing the penalty of our sins on the cross. And so if you're a follower of Christ and you're walking in fellowship with him today, then know that this table is for you to help you restore order to the universe of your heart. And so now God welcomes us at this table as his children, not not because we're good enough, even on our best days we can't measure up to being good enough to a perfectly holy God, but because Jesus was perfectly good in our place. We come to the table to celebrate that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. David's prayer ends this way. It's it's a beautiful lead into what we're about to do. David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord the God of their fathers and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And so today as God's people rescued, though undeserving, rescued by him, we want to eat and drink before the Lord with glad hearts as we remember the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ for us all. So on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. and He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me, please?